Revelation chapter 21 is our text today. And we sing these hymns by way of anticipation of what God has for us. And I trust that the Word of God will stir up your anticipation, looking forward to His glory revealed in the New Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 through 27. Let me begin by reading our text today. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Pardon me. And having a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates uh, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and her gates and walls. The city lies four square, her length the same as width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Her length and width and height are equal. He also measured her wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass." And I saw no temple in this city, for her temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on her, for the glory of God gives her light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By her light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into her, and her gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into her the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter her nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I will show you the bride, the angel announced to John, and that really is the, uh, the thrust of this text of Scripture. It's designed to create anticipation in us as we look forward to that glory. For those of you men here, who, uh, here today who are married, <clears throat> Perhaps a little earthly picture of this is your wedding day. When you, (coughs) pardon me, uh, came up front and is the custom at our weddings to have a bridal entrance. You're waiting up front and what are you waiting to see? What do you want more than anything else to see at that point? You want to see your bride in all of her glory. And as she comes... (coughs) 
you are admiring her and looking forward to all that this means for life together with her. That is indeed actually a God-given intimation, anticipation of what we were made for in glory. Our text today is designed to give us an even greater anticipation of our ultimate union with the Lord. (coughs) Pardon me. Because we are seeing here the revelation of the bride. Now, as we enter into our text here, it is important that we notice that the angel who came and spoke to John is one of the angels with the seven bowls. It says here specifically, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Because this immediately invokes chapter 17. You'll notice if I read it, the very similarity of language. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, come, I will show you, not the bride, the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. We've talked about this already, the prostitute Babylon. What we're seeing here in our text today is very intentionally a direct contrast with Babylon. You've seen the similarities here (coughs) because the scripture wants us to remember the city Babylon, the prostitute, but now you're going to see a true bride. I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So when John looks to see this bride that he has heard about announced by the angel, what does he see? He doesn't see what you might think here, just like the, even in contrast to the Babylonian prostitute, a description of a woman. He sees a description of a city. He sees the holy Jerusalem, the heavenly city. That's what he sees. In other words, and this is important for us to understand what's going on in our text, the bride is revealed as a city. Jerusalem embodies the people of God dwelling with God. This is not just a city that's being described here in terms of architecture or place. This is the people of God being described here. This is the bride of the Lamb being described here. And by the way, even in our own experience, a city is never just a place, is it? It is a people. And we've seen that building now in the book of Revelation in anticipation. If you look back at chapter 19, verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Pardon me. And so as we saw then at the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 21, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And now, with John, we get to see this vision. Now, if you've been singing the Psalms, the Songs of Zion, the Psalms, you're going to immediately recognize this revelation that you read here in Revelation 21 as exactly the fulfillment of everything you have been praying for in this life. 
Psalm 51, verse 18. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Psalm 68, 29. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Psalm 116. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And Psalm 122, I was glad with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Let me put it to you this way. I think you should recognize as soon as you begin to see this description of this city, that God is answering all of our prayers beyond what we could ever think, beyond what we could ask or think. We pray for these kinds of things, and God is saying, I am going to fulfill. And I want you to have just a little bitty glimpse of the glory of what this fulfillment is going to look like. So as as John gazes on the bride making her entrance here, He describes her for us in architectural terms and as civic spaces, the fulfillment of what it means to be a city. But we need to remember this is describing the bride, the people of God. And the most important characteristic here is listed first. So he sees the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, verse 11, having the glory of God. Her radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. That's the first thing he draws our attention to as he describes this holy city, Jerusalem. She has the glory of God. Now, think about that. After an entire book, the book of Revelation, talking about giving glory to God, maybe if I could just remind you a little bit here, chapter 4, for example, pardon me. Uh, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created, right? Worthy are you to receive glory. A whole book about God receiving glory. Now it's arresting actually to find out that God has given his glory to her. He's been getting glory. He's been receiving glory. But in a sense, what has he done with that glory? He's given it to the bride. He's glorified her with his glory. We're going to see that come out many times in this text. She is here described as positively radiant with the glory of God. It's radiating out of her. The term radiance here translated in the ESV is sometimes used for star, uh, it's, it's shining out like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, it describes it. <clears throat> That's her radiance as compared to that. Those things that we value simply by virtue of their beauty. <clears throat> we don't value these precious stones so much for what they can do for us as much as we do for the beauty that shines out of them. But even more intriguing is that this precious stone here in our text is described to be as clear as crystal, clear as crystal, pardon me, 
Now, that's going to be a repeated emphasis in our text, and I think it's on purpose. Look down with me at verse 18. Here it's describing the wall being built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. Later on in verse 21, it's going to say, And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. Transparent, like crystal, like glass. These various aspects of the city are described in this way. And here's why I believe this is important. This bride is completely transparent to the glory of God. What is shining out of her is his own glory. And while in some sense, as John struggles to portray in human terms this vision that I believe is probably far beyond what anything we can ask or think that we can imagine, he's saying, even when he says she's like Jasper, but it's like clear. It's like gold, but it's like clear. (laughs) Why is that? Why does it need to be clear? Why would it matter if it was clear? Precisely about what verse 11 is talking about. She has the glory of God. It's the glory of God that is shining out of everything about her. It's not even so much her own glory, though it is truly given to her, but it's the glory of God shining in her and through her. God's glory radiating. In other words, this is now a bride that is so sanctified, so purified, so thoroughly full of God that she, she simply shines with his saving presence. That's what we're beginning to see. Ephesians 5 describes Christ as loving the church and giving himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And folks, he does it. That's what Jesus accomplishes. He actually makes his bride splendid with his own glory. She is a beautiful bride that we're going to see here because she has his glory. The text goes on to describe her here in verse 12. And here we see that she has his perfect, his perfected salvation, his peace and security. She has here a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels. This great high wall here shows us God effecting true peace and security through his salvation for his people. I alluded to Psalm 22 or quoted from Psalm 122 earlier, but let me go down just a few verses in that same psalm. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. What does the wall show here? It shows peace and security. A perfect environment here. In fact, Isaiah 26 verse 1 had prophesied, In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls 
and bulwarks. God effecting his salvation brings his people to perfect peace and security. That's what these walls show us here. These walls are walls of salvation. These walls are walls of peace. In these walls, man lives at perfect peace with God (coughs) and with one another, and he flourishes then in an abundance of peace. Everything those Old Testament prophecies of shalom pointed toward are now experienced in this city. She also has 12 gates with the names of the tribes of Israel inscribed. And it goes on to say 12 foundations with the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. We know from the book of Ephesians that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone in that picture. Who is this new Jerusalem here? Some people would say, well, she's, um, she's Old Testament Israel. Or some might say, she's the New Testament church. And folks, I believe she's the whole people of God in Christ together. There is no dichotomy here. God doesn't have two different plans of redemption. God is bringing all of this to perfect fulfillment in himself, in his new Jerusalem. That unity in Christ that comes about everything perfected, everything harmonious. You see, you're seeing presented to your view the true city of God, the true and faithful bride, the Jerusalem from above. And when you stop to consider her, she really is breathtaking. But that only makes us want to know her more, which is why the text goes on. I want to talk here about the perfection of the bride. We've seen the revelation of the bride coming down out of heaven, having her glory revealed. The text talks, though, about here the perfection of the bride, both in her measurements and her materials. In her measurements, it says in verse 15, the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and her gates and walls. Now, why does he do this? This is obviously a symbolic action. What's he doing here? We should remember back from chapter 11 in Revelation that to be measured is to be defined, marked off for God's purposes. In chapter 11, it was the action of measuring that was the focus, that took center stage. There was no measurements given, just the act of measuring was done. Here, however, there's a focus put on this, one, by noting that this is a measuring reed or rod of gold. Why would you need a measuring rod of gold? It doesn't have to be of gold, but it is. And, pardon me, the measurements are given. Numbers are given here. And they're clearly significant numbers. And I want to point out here as you walk through them, they all add up to, if you will, perfection. That's what's being marked off for us here, the perfection of this bride. You see, it says the city lies four square. It has four corners, four angles, literally, uh, the term is. And it states that its length and breadth are the same, the length and the width. Uh, There's a square 
if you will, layout to this city. Um, now we're going to go to the end of the verse, and we'll find it's not just square, it's also cubical. Her length and width and height are equal. Everything is perfectly proportionate. Everything is fitting perfectly <clears throat> in this cube. Now, he mentions here that the measurement is 12,000 stadia. And I'm glad that the ESV keeps this in the original um, <clears throat> units given here and doesn't try to translate that into miles or something of that nature. Perhaps you've uh, you know, tried to say, well, what, how many... How, how far is that? How many miles is that? The point isn't how many miles is it. The point is it's 12,000. And you lose that if you translate it into other units, right? 12, we've read through Revelation. We know this is significant, right? Already we've been seeing 12 and 12 and 12. <clears throat> Pardon me. We've seen 12 gates in this city. We've seen 12 foundations just because God in his providence set up 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles who were his messengers to found the church. Here, the measurement is 12, but now in a maximized form, 1,000 times 12. It's 12,000. It's perfection. Everything about this here is perfection. When we see that it's a cube, it should remind us that this is just like in shape, the Holy of Holies. Just like what God designed in the Old Testament temple, he made it a perfect cube where his presence would dwell. That was a foretaste of what's coming. This is also supposed to be showing us the same thing. In other words, this is hinting at what we're going to see even later on in the text here about the very Shekinah, we are in the very Shekinah presence of God here. That's what this text is talking about. This is where, where is this place? You might say, that's where it is. <laughs> In the very presence of the glory of God. <clears throat> the wall here, the measurement of the wall, is also a square of 12. Is that by accident? Of course not. It's designed to communicate this perfection. 144 cubits by human measurement, it says. Everything about these measurements of the bride here are pointing us to perfection. Everything is coming to completion here. But it doesn't stop with the measurements. It goes on to the materials that are used in this Jerusalem. It says in verse 18 that the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. <clears throat> the foundations of the wall were were. Uh, adorned with, or we could even say um, made beautiful. The, the idea is they're, they're made out of this, not just like jewels are hung on them, but they are uh, made out of this. <clears throat> Jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, and so forth. <clears throat> the gates of the city are all pearl. And it says, in fact, each one made out of a single pearl in this vision. Now, as you're walking through this, perhaps you're thinking, I'm not sure how to even envision this. Like, like a pearl? How do you, how do you picture uh, a pearl as a gate? <clears throat> um, how does that work? Uh, does it split in half to open up? Or, you know, what, what, how does this all work? 
Folks, again, the point isn't for you to be able to explain how it all works in our terms. The point is for you to recognize the value of this. This is beauty and glory. This is the costliest and the best. This is everything glorious in this city. In fact, once again, I think it's picking up Old Testament hints and bringing them to their completion. When even the list of jewels that are given here for the foundations, 12 of them, of course, as it already said, relating to 12 apostles. But this list of <clears throat> precious stones or jewels is um, identical in eight of it to the same stones that the high priest would wear and his breastpiece when he went into the temple, bearing the children of Israel before the Lord. we're seeing a fulfillment of that. In a sense, the city is becoming. (laughs) It's like it's no longer like there's this temple in the city. It's turning into the the very presence of God. And once again, it emphasizes both with the city, uh, pure gold, and the streets of the city, pure gold. It emphasizes transparent as glass. Transparent to the glory of God. Now, we need to ask ourselves here, why does the angel take time to measure the city? Why does John take time to admire the construction of the city? Folks, this is how you glory in the glory of God given to his bride. He's taking time to admire. He's coming to know her. And that's what a lover always does with his bride. In the Song of Solomon, the bridegroom glories in the bride. You are beautiful as Tirzah, my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. Turn away your eyes from me, for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one of them, them... Not one among them has lost its young. Your cheeks are like halves of a pomegranate behind your veil. What is the lover doing here? He's exploring the beauty of the bride. Seeing this is revealing to me so much glory here that I love to dwell on it. I want to know this. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed, the queens and concubines also, and they praised her. And so he asks, who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun? Awesome as an army with banners. I would submit to you today, folks, this is what Jesus sees in his bride. This is what Jesus loves to glory in. He's preparing a pure bride for himself, and he will accomplish it, and he will love her. And I think all of those who love the Lord Jesus 
who are part of this amazing work of redemption that God is accomplishing and bringing to fulfillment that we're seeing in the New Jerusalem cannot help but love her as well. Can it help but delight and glory in all the beauty that Jesus is giving to his bride? You might remember a few chapters ago we said <clears throat> that Babylon has glamour. Babylon's glamorous. But the real bride has true beauty. And that's what we're glorying in here. You know when Philippians chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, reckon on these things. What could better fulfill that reckoning than reckoning on the bride, the holy city Jerusalem, what God is accomplishing? Do you not think that we ought to meditate on this? Do you not think that we ought to invest our hearts and minds, shape our souls and even our imaginations with the glory of what God is bringing about through his redemption? What Jesus died and rose again to achieve? What he will fulfill of all of his promises? Is not that beautiful? In fact, it's beauty beyond this world. In fact, it's beautiful beyond anything this world can offer you. Do you feel that anticipation? Do you love her glory? <clears throat> the last section of the text here, verses 22 through 27, continue to meditate on the magnificence of the bride. <clears throat> Pardon me. The magnificence of the bride. In some ways, by showing what's not there, the text highlights for us and helps us to imagine what really is there in this glory? It says in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for her temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. We're being brought far beyond any earthly temple here. We're being brought into union with God himself, an indwelling kind of relationship. <clears throat> the temple of this city, it doesn't need a temple. Right? It doesn't need a, an earthly construction, so to speak, that we think of as a temple. Because the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. His people are, are, are brought into that intimate union with him. <clears throat> Pardon me. This is the direct presence of the Lord God and the Lamb to his people. And the city, it says in verse 23, has no need of sun or moon to shine on her. <clears throat> um, this... There's so much glory here <laughs> that mere earthly bodies of light are totally lost in its shining. For the glory of God gives her light, and its lamp is the Lamb. God is manifesting his presence here. <clears throat> Pardon me. Again, that transparency. God, we have the glory of God shining from her and throughout her. So much so that is pictured now as shining around the, the, into all the nations. By her light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into her, and her gates will never be shut by day. There is a continual exchange of glory going on here. The glory of God is shining out. The nations are bringing their glory in. 
right? And we shouldn't imagine, by the way, that this kind of nation, you know, talking about nations and kings means, well, we must still be living in some kind of a, you know, a, a, a merely human earthly condition in order to have kings and nations. Surely in the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, we sometimes call the eternal state, there won't be things like kings and nations. And I want to say, why not? Of course there will be kings and nations. Because everything good God made will be there, right? We'll still be enjoying all of these things, but now they will all be doing precisely what they were designed to do from the beginning. Why are there nations? We asked a week or so ago, why are there cities? So that God can manifest his glory. Why are there nations? So that they can bring their glory to God. That's why they exist. And this will be good. This God shining out his glory, the, the, the nations walking by that glory, bringing their glory into the city. Um, never a, a time where they have to Uh, close down this cycle of glory. The gates will never be shut there and there's no by day and there's not going to be any night, right? So they will bring into her the glory and the honor of the nations, everything, the, the muchness, everything that the nations have. On the contrary, nothing unclean will ever enter her, even with her gates wide open, right? She doesn't have to fear that. Because that's all been dealt with. We've already seen that in chapter 20. No one who does what is detestable or false, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life will enjoy this. This is the magnificence of the bride that we get to see in this vision. Now, just in conclusion today, I would like to challenge us as a church to be a foretaste of this glory <clears throat> this is what we are destined for. This is where we're going. This is God fulfilling everything we were made for. In Christ, we're participating in that now, looking forward to the consummation of all things. The church should be a foretaste of that glory Maybe we could say it this way. The church should be fully transparent to the glory of God. What did Jesus say about us? You are the light of the world. And what is the new Jerusalem but the fulfillment of that? The light shining out to the whole world and all the nations walking by it. The nations should walk by the light that we shine out. Are we doing that well? Are we growing in our anticipation of what God has for us and being able to live in that well? By your light, let the nations walk. In fact, I would encourage you today, may your participation in High Country Baptist Church be a participation, a foretaste of this kind of glory. And then, as it is a foretaste, let it stoke anticipation for the revelation of the bride. Folks, I really believe if we're <clears throat> picking up <laughs> what Revelation is communicating to us, it's going to be turning us away from 
uh, Satan, from evil, from this world system, from Babylon, everything that's false, a false religion, idolatry. But it's going to help keep us true even in the face of oppression in this present time by stirring up our love, by stirring up our anticipation for what's really coming. This is the glory we have to look forward to. Does your heart long for that? Does your heart desire that above everything else that this world has to offer? That's what this vision should do. Let the glory of God given to his bride evoke admiration from you today. Let it evoke anticipation of his coming kingdom. And with that hope, let us confess our faith that Jesus is Lord together as a congregation. Jesus is Lord. Amen.